Thunderbolt. Go get him, Thunder. Go get that dirty old horse thief. Old Thunderbolt's the greatest dog in the whole world. He's even better than Dad. No dog's better than Dad. That old dirty Dawson, the yellow-livered old skunk. <laughs> I'd like to tear his gizzard out. Why, Patch, where did you ever hear such talk? Certainly not from your mother. Watch out, Thunder. Don't worry, Penny. He'll get that yellow liver. Well, he'll get him all right. Welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast that puts the plus in Disney Plus. It's talking the Mickey. My name's Ian. My name's Ellie. I'm Georgia. And I'm Ethan. I don't know this. Every time we do that, Georgia, on your name, your mic just decides yeah. it's going to slur the Georgia. Does it come out like that? It does. Yeah, yeah. And I think what it is is that when you start talking, it's like your internet signal, whatever it is on your Skype, when you enter sort of big passages, it tends to do that right at the start, and then you're fine the rest of the way as long as you keep talking. But, oh, uh, that's silly. Yeah, it is silly. And uh, so, anyway, it's how we decided to start the uh, the Disney podcast. It's been a while. It's been a while since we got together. It's been about, been about a week, I think. Yeah. 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 And what a week I've had. Do you, do you want to share about your week? You don't. I don't really want to hear about it because you've heard it and it makes you scream. I smashed my finger between a lump hammer and a brick and had to go to A&E and stuff. So I this got a the, yucky finger. Yucky finger. This is the first I've heard about that. Oh, my God. I was going to be like, my week has been terrible. My hair dye went wrong. That's so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the ultimate millennial conversation. I was going to come on and be like, my hair dye went wrong. Not even millennial. What, what are a, a Generation Z or Infor... What yeah, are you? I, I, think, I think the internet term is Zuma or just like... Zoomer. Je, or, je, or Gen Z. Gen Z? Uh, or just yeah. general first world problems, really. Yeah, yes, it is. Although it's not particularly a new thing, is it? Because people have been dyeing their hair for years, like yeah, hundreds of years. I think it's more of the idea that this is like a terrible thing that's happened to me. <laughs> Like, the world is in lockdown. There is a pandemic going across, and you're like, oh, my hair dye went wrong. <laughs> uh, I was following the steps of uh, of Pongo. But it is, there we go. But it is somewhat blue, sort of, matching your microphone and your chair. It seems like you're going for a whole motif there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Sonic, it seems. Sonic? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so going to win Best Picture this year. <laughs> no, oh, other, no other movies are going to get released. <laughs> uh, so, on that note, let's talk a little bit about 101 Dalmatian, shall we? A tricky one to find on Disney+, Plus, as some of us found <laughs> yeah. out, because I assumed the same thing everybody else did, which is that when you go to type it in, I assumed it was 101, because on the DVD cases and on all that stuff, that's how it looks. On the sequel, it was released that way. On the, uh, oh, what was her name? Glenn Close version, it's 101. But the actual theatrical release of it, it is spelled out 101, all in words, <laughs> Dalmatians. <laughs> And uh, so that's how I'm going to have to type this out for the, for the podcast, because I'm a stickler for, for, for titles mm-hmm. being right. However, if you finally type in 101 Dalmatians, it brings you to a graphic 
which goes 101 Dalmatians on Disney Plus. And I'm like, you can't have it both ways. And secondly, like, can they not make a search engine that, like, gives you, like, if you type in 101, it finds that film for you? Because it finds all of the rest of them. It finds it all just the doesn't find that one. one. Yeah. Yeah. I get that originally the theatrical release was this, but at least like Google would have figured this out. It would have had that blue font, somewhat reminiscent of the color Ethan wants his hair to be, and it would have been like in italics <laughs> going, mean? don't you mean 101 Dalmatians in full words? I'd go, I yes, love, you're probably right. I love how Google is British. Google your, is, like, is like pompous British in my head mm. because it's in italics. If it was American, it would just shout at you. In England, we say italics. And I would use the word. Google to me it would use the word is, is the guy that's like, actually, according to to this excerpt, <laughs> your information's wrong, and this reference means this. I was really lazy with this. I just clicked the Glenn Close one and went to suggested. So I hey, didn't have clever. any of that problem. <laughs> uh, well, for me, see, when 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 Georgia got a hold and said, "I can't find the thing. It's not on Disney Plus." If I hadn't have been literally doing the research at that time for the podcast, I wouldn't have had the answer for this. I would have gone, oh, my God, there must be some weird licensing issue with 101 Dalmatians. I was really confused because I was watching it at that point. But it just turns out that we're, you know, lazy or, you know, we just don't think laterally or something. I don't know. But speaking of maybe thinking laterally, 101 Dalmatians directed by it's a it's a it's a group. Clyde Jeronimi, Hamilton Lusky and Wolfgang Reitherman. And that's a name we've heard before. This is Wolfgang's first go in the director's chair. So, um, 101 Dalmatians, it is. And not a, not a good time for, for, for Walt Disney. It was the 17th Disney animated classic, which falls between Sleeping Beauty and Sword in the Stone, which we've talked about previously. Uh, it's based on a 1956 novel by Dodie Smith. D-O-D-I-E, Dodie. Um, That's a great name. Yeah. Question, if we had to guess, male or female, Dodie Smith. See, I know a Dodie that's female, so that but would be Princess, where Prin- I went. Princess Diana married Dodie Al-Fayed, who was a man. Oh, so okay. It could go either way. I'm, I'm thinking of, of the YouTuber Dodie, so because yeah, of this... Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. I'm, I'm going to say male because I feel that wouldn't, you wouldn't have asked the question if it wasn't like a shock. I okay. would guess female. It is female. It is female. Ah. So it's, it's funny how the girls assumed female... And the, I did, too. When I first read Dodie, I wrote that in my notes. He. And then I had to go back and go, no, let's put an S in front of that. I got that one wrong. <laughs> so uh, we talked about development hell a lot. Actually, if you keep in mind, the novel came out in 1956. Disney read it and had uh, read the book in 57, got out the rights immediately, uh, and had the movie out by 61. So this isn't one of those wow. ones that wow. uh, was stuck in a drawer forever. This is one of the ones that pushed the other ones to the side, actually. Um, he was not messing around with this one. And Dodie Smith loved it because she hoped when she wrote it that Disney would want it one day. At which point, thinking, pretty good life goal. I'm going to write a book. I hope Walt Disney yeah. wants it. By the next year, hey, he wants it. Hey, they made it into a film. That's, really good That's a hell of a contrast uh, compared to uh, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins, which, you know, yeah, B.L. Travers doesn't want him to have any part of the book. Yeah. <laughs> Dodie Smith is basically going, here's my book. Don't you want to make a movie out of it? You can pay me if you like. Uh, Bill Pete was assigned to write the screenplay, and Bill Pete like worked on like something like fifteen animated Disney classic, not class, animated Disney films over the years, and like two thirds of them, his name was like put down wrong in the credits. He was down as like Bill, his dad was like Bill Pete, P E A D, rather than Pete, 
And I'm like, after the first like two, aren't you going, you kind of got it wrong. It's not how I spell guys, my name. Guys, my name is Pete. Pete, not Pete. <laughs> it's not a funny joke, guys. Either that or you at that point decide to change your professional name to, yeah, maybe, to maybe. Pete just so it matches for one of your films. So he worked uh, either in an official or an uncredit capacity all the way back from Snow White. He was one of the originals. Uh, I believe this is the first time he gets to do the story, though. And he didn't know how to use a typewriter. Or he didn't use one. Oh, he, wow. he wrote out his story by hand on big yellow legal pads, I believe. Wow. And he took some <laughs> things and he changed them. Uh, he worked all the way through Jungle Book. And Jungle Book, we did talk about uh, Bill Peed at some point. Maybe it was in the Sword of the Stone episode, maybe something else. He wrote the first draft of Jungle Book, which then uh, Disney threw in the trash. <laughs> that was the last. Oh. If you remember that one, the first draft that was so bad. I think we talked yeah. about it in our Sword of the Stone episode. Uh, so we tweaked some things. I mean, Cruella DeVille didn't have a cruel cat. And there were two combined surrogate mother dogs in the book, which turned into Perdita. Not that Perdita turned into it, but they sort of morphed those characters into the existing character of Perdita. And when it was all over, uh, Dodie Smith felt that Bill Pete had improved the story. And of the animations he had commissioned said the designs are better than the ones in my book. But, <laughs> but despite all this, 101 Dalmatians almost didn't get made. Because oh. Sleeping Beauty was a flop, which I didn't Wait, know that. It? Sleeping Beauty was a financial disappointment, considerably so. So much so that they were going to shut down the whole studio. Uh, wow. Walt said just to insiders at the time, I don't think we can continue with the animation. It's too expensive. <laughs> and, and so, like, it's a really touchy thing. Does 101 Dalmatians get made? And if you think about the actual process of animating, literally, not the title, but the number, 101 Dalmatians. The yeah. amount of effort that actually goes into marking up the dots on those dogs is not small. But there was a guy there called Ubi Iwerks or something like that. And he was experimenting. Abba Iwerks. Thank you, yes. Abba Iwerks. Yeah. Okay. I love that man. Great. Can you tell us anything else about him? Uh, I, I might be completely wrong. I His... Son, someone related to him did the uh, Imagineering documentary on Disney Plus, and uh, he features a decent amount in there. I think he did some stuff for the parks as well. Georgia might be able to tell me if I'm wrong or not. I genuinely don't know. Actually, that's the first I've heard his name. Well, he was experimenting in this time, in the early '60s, with transferring sketches using Xerox technology. And Xerox. If I say Xerox, do we know what a Xerox is in this country? Laser printer. Oh, uh, surely. Photocopier. No. Oh, yeah. Basically, it's a photocopier, yeah. And uh, so the idea that you could use that to aid in your animation, and then you could put uh, your drawing and Xerox it onto an animation cell, and it would stop having to do like a middle inking process or something like that. Oh, that's cool. As a result of this, uh, they, they pitched it to Walt, and Walt kind of said, yeah, go ahead, play around with whatever you want, because I think at this time he's, he's not really thinking he's going to continue it. Um, and so as a result, uh, it works, and it cuts the budget by more than half because wow. you don't have to pay all of these animators to do all this work. You can do a lot of it through this because it helped in the um, illustration of the spots. If you had to guess, because I have the number, mm-hmm. how many spots are there in 101 Dalmatians? Keep in mind, you have to do it for each individual frame per second. Wow. So how many dots do you oh. think are in spots are in? 101 Dalmatians. Across the entire film? Across the entire film. That's that, no, that's like 104 Dalmatians. No, 103. 
No, it's 101. And, no, it's 99 no, plus Pongo and Perdita is 100. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, God. I'm going like 2 million. 2 million? Yeah. More than that. I don't know. It must be like a billion or something. I, I can't even comprehend the number that it's going to be. Okay, Georgia, so far we have 2 million and a billion <laughs> as, our, as our guesses. Quite, kind of a wide range. Can I just clarify? Yeah. Is this for every single frame of the yes. film? It's how many dots they would have had to draw. Oh, oh goodness. Um, how long is this? Like 76 minutes. This podcast is going to be about two hours. Someone get a calculator out. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 280 million. Oh, wow. Okay. Ethan, you are easily <laughs> the closest. Well done. <laughs> oh, my it God. It was just shy of six and a half million. Oh, okay. Oh. So, um, but Walt, as it turned out, wasn't happy with the final aesthetic. It was very angular and scratchy looking, and he did not like it and actually gave the um, art director, a man named Anderson, and told him he would never be an art director again oh. to his face. And he only forgave him of it. He said, I want to forgive. He said, Said 101 Dalmatians. Actually, that Xerox thing wasn't as bad as, as I thought, was it? And he, that was the last time that Anderson met Disney before Disney died. He sort of forgave him on his deathbed without being dead, but we was looking quite poorly. But that being said, it remained that scratchy kind of style remained the uh, aesthetic for Disney films up until The Rescuers in the mid-70s. Mm. So something to be said for that. Uh, very few notable members of the cast. Rod Taylor played Pongo. He's Australian. Um, but we have Betty Lou Gerson, who plays Cruella DeVille and is a Disney legend. And this is like all she does. This and she's a narrator in Cinderella. <laughs> so Does that make her a Disney legend? I think the fact she's Cruella DeVille makes her a Disney legend. Okay. So... Um, just a couple other things. Dogs were cast. Who are the, the, the voice actors for the dogs were cast with deeper voices than the humans to try and show power, which is interesting. And uh, this was, film was released in 61, 69, 79, 85, and 1991. <laughs> oh. And in 1991, it was the 20th highest grossing film of the year. Wow. To show, They're I mean, going ham on the re- re-releases. And, and in the Dark Ages, this is what they did. Yeah. You just keep releasing the films that people know and think are good. Because if it's keeping, it's going to keep getting this money. I mean, you know, the sixth or seventh time you release it, it's in the top 20 for the year. What incentive do you have to actually create any new content? What is the purpose of a re release? To get money. Yeah, but why do you need to re release <laughs> it to get the I, money? From so it? keep in mind that back in this time, home video wasn't a thing. Katzenberg, I think, started a thing which was. They, they made this whole thing about the Disney vault, and the whole thing of the vault was every, like, ten years, there'd be a new generation who had never seen a Disney film. Right. So if for, like, ten years straight, we just keep pumping out, like, re-releases of these films that a generation of kids hasn't seen, and we just keep doing that, there will always be an infinite supply of people who will never see those films before and then have the chance to see it. So it's always sort of an event kind and- of thing. And then VHS came and... 
they were like 80 pounds per VHS. But it did the same thing. So basically yeah. every five years they would reopen – and it was said the vault. They always used the word the vault. Mm. And they would release a new VHS or a new DVD, da-da-da-da-da-da. Now, piracy kind of changes that a little bit later on. And then, so what do you do then? Okay, we want, you want to see the videos with your kids? That's why we have Disney+. Plus. And so rather than have it constantly come out and earn money that way, you pay for the right to have access to it all the time. But that's why you re-release it. You re-release it because someone say, oh, I love the 101 Dalmatians. I'm going to show my kid 101 Dalmatians. I remember as a kid living in, in England, my mom would send us off to the cinemas I don't know, once a month, once every two months, and we'd watch a Disney film that they were re-releasing. I'm sure I saw this in one of those journeys. So, uh, film received critical acclaim from critics, most of whom claimed it as the studio's best release since Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, wow. And the closest to a real Disney film in many years. Now, keep in mind, this is, they've, it's 61, so they've come out of the package film era. Right, and so then you've got. I don't know what was before that in the fifties, but it wasn't. So early fifties is Fantasia? Alice and Peter Pan. So Fantasia. I I think Fantasia was like late was 40s? Fantasia like forty six because it was like just a bit after okay. uh, Snow White because he was like cool. I did my I did my uh, the the Oscar winning Snow White film. Now I want to do the artsy film, and Fantasia no one liked 40. the artsy film. Forty. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you what, want to know what was in the 50s? Just what was in the 50s, if you just rattled them off. Uh, Cinderella in 50, Alice in 51, uh, Peter Pan in 53, Lady and the Tramp in 55, Sleeping Beauty in 59. That's really interesting, because if we look at how some of those have aged versus how this has aged, I'm not sure if you make that statement now, but this is the best one since Snow White. I mean, I definitely wouldn't, but I mean, that's Pe- spoiling my favorite I mean, Disney films. So. Peter, <laughs> Peter Pan's a big one, I think, on that list. Alice is a big one, I think, on that list. Cinderella, I, see, I never really got Cinderella. Uh, and but, then you've obviously got Sleeping Beauty being yeah. like a pretty iconic princess. So Yeah, but I, I think it's more of a decision in, in modern times to sort of launch the princess marketing campaign. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Howard Thompson of the New York Times said, while the story moves steadily towards a stark melodramatic chase climax, I'm going to put finger quotes around that, it remains enclosed in a typical Disney frame of warm family love, human and canine, but he wishes there were more songs. Uh, Time called it the least pretentious cartoon feature Walt Disney ever made. And Roger Ebert in 91 on one of the re-releases said, it's not one of the great Disney classics. It's not in the same league with Snow White or Pinocchio, but it's passable fun and will entertain its target family audience. Um, So I think we can get started in a sense to talk about it here. Uh, Just a quick thing though, in the early 90s, uh, the Disney Corporation had to recall an absolute ton of merchandise from the Disney stores and the Disney parks because they misspelled the word Dalmatian on their own merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> they spelled it T-I-O-N as opposed to T-I-A-N. Which I'll admit, doesn't surprise I made that mistake when I was looking something up the other day, but it's not my, yeah, intellectual, it's not my intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to figure, these needs to get by a few people before it goes to print. <laughs> yeah. So at least it was just in their... I don't know if it's better or worse that it was in their own stores and parks, but yeah. So, um, here we go. So the title, 101 Dalmatians, all that. Uh, I predicted before I watched it, I said, I will say at the end of this film, they wasted a fantastic villain on a mediocre story premise. I want to see if I come back to that, because I have seen it. Oh, and I haven't noticed. This was my pick. 
and I probably should justify, I chose this just because I got into a conversation with a friend back in Canada where she was waxing on about how great 101 Dalmatians is. And I went, really? I don't really think it's that great. <laughs> and she went, oh, no, not the live action, the animated one. I went, yeah, still, still, still stands. <laughs> and she went, no. And so I kind of went, well, maybe I need to watch this with fresh eyes. Maybe this is like Hunchback where I thought I'd seen it and maybe I hadn't really paid attention, whatever it was. So Hunchback is sort of like my give films a second chance because you might end up with a hunchback experience. Uh, so we get in, we have a classic Disney intro. Well, at first it feels like a classic Disney intro. Uh, and if you don't know it's 101 Dalmatians from the music, you'll definitely know it is from all the spots that are about to appear on the screen. <laughs> and just, I love this just opening a, thing. Just a note on the spots straight away. Like, they went ham on the hid- not-so-hidden-hidden hidden Mickeys throughout this film. See, I didn't like, notice I know, I know it's a, it's a big thing in the parks, not so much in the films, um, but yeah, there were so many throughout this film, because I was actively looking for them. They're everywhere. Even in like the underneath the um, Disney, Walt Disney Presents logo, there was one underneath it, like in the spots, and I was like, that's ridiculous. Um, but also, Pongo has one on each of his front legs. There really? are the iconic Mickey Mouse heads on each of Pongo's front legs, yeah, which made me laugh. There were a couple that I spotted, pun intended, but not like <laughs> loads. Um, I got my notes here on this opening. I said this score could be from any Disney film of the era. And they went, nope, hang on, it's a bit jazzy. And they went, nope, hang on, it's a lot jazzy. Yeah. <laughs> At which point I went... This doesn't feel timeless. It doesn't feel independent of its time. This feels very much like a product of the 60s. I think this title sequence would be in play with the style of many 1960s films. Yeah. And then, are they really doing an overture for a film that only has three songs? Yes. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they did. And they made sure you're going to know what oh, Cruella de Vil is. Were there Jeez. three songs? There's three songs in the film. I can't remember what one of them there was. Were three songs. Me either, but yeah, I kept three songs. my research kept saying three songs. Okay. Maybe the overture counts as one there's, of them. I don't know. There's Cruella Deville and Dalmatian Plantation at the end. Oh, does he play something at the very, very start when he's before he goes on his walk? Oh, well, he's playing something. I'm not yeah. sure if there's any lyrics, but so maybe there are. Um, I think the no, the general sings something, doesn't he? Does he, he sing something? Does I think it? the the old dog. I think he sang something. Maybe anyway. I could be wrong. What? I might be remembering it wrong. George, this is a question for you. Uh-huh. What is it with 1950s, 60s, 70s Disney and their infatuation with the city of London? I just don't know. It seems, they, it seems really I think weird. it's a Walt thing. It's a Walt thing? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, because he seemed to place a lot of his films there. But a lot of the films he chose were also from there at the time. I guess it's because, well, America didn't ever write their own fairy tales particularly. Is it also just that like kind of they wanted the characters to be British and if they're British they want to put it in the city so that it's the landmarks that people will recognise and understand are England. Well, I'm just saying, I mean, I think they go part and parcel. I mean, if you make the setting American, you make, you make the characters American. Yeah. I don't see what the big deal with that is. I don't see how that changes anything. You said why would he keep using London, didn't you? Yes, yeah, so it's not to do with the characters. Like, like the woman playing Cruella de Vil is doing like a fake accent. I didn't say it was. I just meant like if you want to set your story in England and have it as a British story, then you would use London as the setting so that people recognise the landmarks. I thought you were talking about characters. No. Oh, my bad. I'm, my apologies. I completely messed that up. Um, 
the thing is, like, what is it about New York City that's not hitting? What is it about? And I don't know if it's the attempt that London is the standard. I mean, you, Georgia, you could be right, although they've played with time periods, like in Mary Poppins, they took from the 1930s and made it 1910, the age of men. I think it's like a charm and whimsy to Americans that they feel towards London. Like, we don't feel it because we know what London looks like. Um, but I think when that was going on, it was very much the um, ide- idyllic place. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's probably all it is. I don't actually know. There's just so much London. There's so much England. I mean, even yeah, Alice yeah. in Wonderland. Alice is English, is she not? She is, it's yeah. English accent, yeah. So we start off and we have a narration. And it's about uh, the the narrator and their pet. And yet we find out in a, in a really nice twist. I love this. Pongo is the narrator. And what's the guy? Is it George? It's Roger. 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 Roger is the pet. Which I thought was a nice touch. I absolutely love it. I think it's really clever. Now, this becomes one of only two Disney films to accomplish the smoking trifecta. <laughs> and by smoking trifecta, we've got Roger. If he's stopping for two seconds, he's got a pipe in his mouth that he's going to be filling oh, yeah. with tobacco. Um, and then I've got, like, you look around Roger's flat and break out the Disney sound effect or the or the fairy sound effect because this is a f***ing fire hazard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, did you see how much crap yeah. is there as he's smoking over and over and over again? And he's just, he throws his match, I think, over his shoulder. I do oh, have, yeah, yeah I do Jeez. have in my notes, Roger almost sets the whole park on fire with his matches. Yeah. He was not being, not being careful where he threw those. <laughs> and Roger, as Pongo tells us, is a songwriter obsessed with love. And I'm going, so Roger is Christian from Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That, if you're interested in Moulin Rouge, our other podcast, uh, at Best Film Ever, uh, we covered Moulin Rouge a couple of couple of weeks ago. That's at Best Film Ever uh, on any reliable podcast. Isn't it at Best Film Ever Pod? Not the actual podcast. Oh, the, it's Best Film Ever on sorry. any reliable podcatcher. But you can get us at Best Film Ever Pod on the Instagram and on the Twitter. So, um, I like. I have written down here. I like Pongo's animations. I thought they were very very expressive. I thought the way they animated the dogs. Mm. I re- like so much is done. Like, yes, we have the benefit of being inside Pongo's head for large parts of the film or hearing him speak for large parts of the film. But in the times when he's around his owner, you can still understand what he's thinking because he's drawn that well. Yeah. They are drawn amazingly, even like not to that point, but to the fact that they are very accurate Dalmatians and the rest of the dogs that we see, the other breeds of dogs, are very accurate to their breed as well. It's, it's really quite stunning to see how well they've done that. And that ties us in quite nicely, because Pongo's decided he needs to get Roger a mate. And for some reason, like, I guess Pongo's going, and it's going to be someone who's also got a dog, because I guess Pongo, fine, I'll have a mate as well. <laughs> but they sort of walk down, and there's a lot of... Uh, it's, it's, am I oversensitive for saying the scene is a little bit pro- problematic in 2020, if you were to remake this? Pongo is very judgmental. He, like, slags off a lot of there's, people walking past. And there's a lot of, like, what we call male gaze in media studies, where you kind of look up and down the bodies of, like, women and, like, you know, uh, validate them based on what you see. I think it's forgiven because it's a dog doing it. Absolutely but no, it, is. it does happen, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a problem with this scene at all. Yeah. I, I find it really funny. I really like the fact that all of the dogs match match the humans and, and, and that, the way he describes them and stuff. And that is a trope, is that the idea. Of, and he starts referring to 
hu- something they did really nice was refer to humans as though they were dogs. Yeah, so he said, like, hmm, unusual breed. Oh yeah, unusual <laughs> breed. Look at the look, look at the, the the snout on that, or something like that. You know, these sort of animal dog sort of terms. Um. So then, also a, a gorgeous Dalmatian and its owner walks by and gets the full up and down from Pongo, and Pongo's like, "We got to meet this woman." So. The problem is it's half an hour before he's time to go for a walk, which means Pongo understands the con not only the concept of time, but like how it's like manifested to humans with this clock. And he goes up with his snout and he pushes the the hands around. In which case I'm like, Roger, get a better clock, man. Like the glasses <laughs> off it. This shouldn't be doable. I mean, I would definitely argue that dogs have a sense of time because my dog knows when it's tea time like it reaches five o'clock and he's like hi guys food please but like he doesn't know that 1700 on the clock is yeah like represents that at all so yeah he's definitely if i can make that arm and that arm or that number appear and that will mean it's dinner time yeah no Um, that's not how it works so pongo basically creates a meat cute uh, between Roger and what was her name? Anita. I'm going to say what was her name a lot here because there wasn't much to her. Um, Aww. And, oh, there wasn't. And so they get caught up in the leashes. You know, the bit where the dog wraps around both people's legs and yeah. they fall over into the um, river? Stream? Pond, I think. Um, Pond? And Anita, is it Anita? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Anita starts to cry. And I'm going, why is she crying? And then we have a joke that wet handkerchiefs are wet. What do you mean, why is she crying? Why is she crying? She's just been pushed into a disgusting no, no, pond. She wasn't new... pushed. She wasn't pushed. Okay, sorry. She's been pulled by a lead with a dog into a disgusting pond with this random man she's never met before in her life. Her new suit has just been absolutely ruined. Her hanky's wet so she can't wipe her eyes. And she's still, like, having to deal with this strange man and his strange dog. Look, Ethan couldn't get the right color hair dye and he's not crying. <laughs> at least not right now. <laughs> No, I was laughing. <laughs> Respectfully, I, w- I was crying on the inside, worse. to be fair. <laughs> so uh, they go falling in. They come on out. The wet handkerchiefs are wet. And then Roger offers his, which is equally wet. And that seems, to, that seems to, to, to crack the veil and that winds are over. <laughs> the veil. Awesome. And uh, yeah, so then, so then we go back and we find out that Roger and uh, what's her name? Anita. Roger and Anita are um, living in a very modest house, have you told. just Have you missed my joke? Which was what? The veil? Ha, the veil, because it then cuts to the wedding scene. Oh, right, there's a wedding. So there's a wedding. And between... it's a wedding, okay. but like, they've known each other two minutes. Well, and, we can I mean, skip a bit. We're That's supposed to assume don't know how it's long it's time has passed, but then we get hey. narration from Pongo hey. that says they haven't known each other long. This movie's so... like 78 minutes long total. Like They didn't have time to waste on, a, on like a courtship. Can't have <laughs> they had a three-minute credit scene at no, the beginning. Exactly. <laughs> so actual footage time is very small in this. And yet, get ready for this, because I'm going to talk about it. Uh, so there's a wedding scene, and actually, as we see Roger and... And uh, what's her name? Anita. Anita getting married. We sort of cut. And there's no one at the wedding. Like nobody. <laughs> they have no friends between them. Maybe the they're not the even, she's not in a wedding dress. Like no. it's not. But as that happens, they sort of zoom out. And there is Pongo and Perdita also getting married in a sense. And at first, the first time they drew that, it was a lot more wedding-esque. And again, they stopped it because they felt religious groups in the the American South (laughs) might have an issue with if you represented dogs getting married. So they made it a slightly less 
obvious religious thing and just made it sort of like a similar pose kind of concept. It's very wedding. cute. They kind of put their paws on each other's paws, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Sweet. Uh, the question is like, what happens if like the dogs break up and the owners don't? What if the owners break up and the dog? I guess we're lucky. This is you know Disney where no one gets a divorce ever. I guess once dogs get married, they're married for life. There we go. Um, so then we go back to the modest home and we're told how modest it is and how poor they are. And then in walks the live-in maid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, I need to be Disney poor because you know what? In their beautiful London townhouse. <laughs> I can do with someone bringing me my tea, cleaning up, and me going, I'm very poor. Yes, you are. <laughs> oh, George. Oh, don't worry. We'll make ends meet. Yes, we will. Like, oh, I just couldn't get this. Disney poor is being is homeless Roger. but still having a maid. Sorry, one more time, Ethan. Disney poor is being homeless but still having a maid to clean your curb. <laughs> I'm so poor I have to crash at my maid's house. <laughs> um, so I've got they can tell Cruella's. I don't know what I've got here. Oh, oh Purdy says that Cruella's coming and calls her like a devil woman or something. And they recognize it from the horn outside. They go, mm. oh, it's Cruella. And I'm going, like, if you're that, especially as the film goes on, like, why does Cruella honk everywhere? Those are, I, I will come back to that later because there is a bit of honking that is a massive plot hole in okay. this. So we'll come back to it later, though. All right. And then I'm supposed to believe that Roger's wife, what was her name? Anita. Anita and Cruella are the same age. <laughs> yeah, Cruella yeah. hasn't aged well. Supposedly school friends. Yeah, it's, like it's just telling you like, that smoking's bad for is you. Cruella, no, I don't get, <laughs> is Cruella a meth head? Yeah, I think she just got held back a lot. Like this, this is the dangers of cigarettes. <laughs> and we meet Cruella, and this is it. Cruella is smoking, so it's the second half of our trifecta. Cruella is smoking but a cigarette. She's not, she's not only smoking, and she's not smoking like Roger's smoking. Her smoke is green, and that's how you know she's the villain. That's how she knows she's the villain, and that cigarettes are bad, but pipes are good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't mention about <laughs> Roger smoking his pipe in the park. But it's like, that guy can't take more than two steps without trying to light that pipe up. <laughs> So, um, Roger might be the original tobacco pipe. Yeah, yeah, it's not like a different. It's like a hash pipe or all that. No, no. My brain had like a dumb moment. I was like, "What kind of pipe?" <laughs> it's the it's the hair dye. It's seeping through finally. <laughs> um, and so Roger's like the original troll because when Cruella comes upstairs. At, I love this. Just before this, <laughs> Roger had this melody, but he couldn't get it. He said, do you like my new song? Like, yeah. He's like, I can't find the words for it. And he makes it quite clear. Always music first, music, yeah. and then lyrics. I fell in love with Roger a little bit in this scene. He's just so lovely when he comes out of his like music room, just and we, humming. And we know Cruella's going to be showing up, and then he goes, that's it! And he starts singing the whole Cruella de Vil. Cruella de Vil. True story. The guy who wrote that, songs were by... Mel Levin, he wrote that during a 45, in 45 minutes before a meeting with Walt. Nice. That seems to be how the best songs are written well, in early Disney kind films. Of, kind of the second time we've had a, a fact like that. What was it? Was it the yeah, Suffragette yeah. song was, was rewritten anyway during a lunch break? It's not exactly yeah. a complex song, though, is it? No, but I think that's what, but it's catchy. It's yeah. a heck of an earworm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I almost wonder if, is Cruella's case as one of the great Disney villains helped by this song? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This is the only thing I always I ever really remember from this film. That's it for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think it's also one of the few villain songs that you actually get on like Disney compilation albums, like of songs and stuff. Like this is always on it, but well, none is, of the others are. This is interesting because it's one of the few villain songs that's about the villain, but not sung by the villain. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen this film, and I had, like George said, I had a Disney compilation thing yeah. as a four year old. And there's like five songs on that thing that are stuck in my head like 15 years on. And Corella Deville is one of those things. It's a heck of an earworm. It's like me and Topsy Turvy from Hunchback. Yeah. And so he sings it and we laugh. And then all of a sudden, like, in comes Cruella. And it's like that worst neighbor who's like, you know, pushing you out of the way and demands to see this or demands to see that. For some people, it's a neighbor. For some, it's an aunt. For some, it's... But yeah. She reminds me of every posh person in every sitcom ever written. Yeah, maybe. Like, Anita Darling. Yes. Um... And so, but Roger goes upstairs and just starts trolling. He just starts playing that same melody with like every instrument he can, like trombones. And then he'll like like stamp on the floor and like aim the trombone for the floorboards. With like a really low, long note. That is what I want from a relationship. I want a husband <laughs> that will go upstairs to troll me whilst I'm like on the phone or something with something we've just been talking about. Like, like that would make my make like, my day. Not like creating a theme song for your wife's friend who you can't stand, but then playing it the entire time, <laughs> knowing that, sh- that your wife knows and that you know, <laughs> but she doesn't know. I would love that. <laughs> and this is where we find out that. Um, there's going to be puppies. We get some really easy exposition. Where are the puppies? Where are the puppies? Where are the puppies? At this point, we don't know Perdita's pregnant, to the best of my knowledge. This is how we find out, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And so, and Perdita is sad because she's afraid that um, Cruella de Vil is going to take her puppies and you know, for all her faults, Perdita would be excellent at hosting a podcast because she's pretty much got it. Everyone's going, oh, no, 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 no. Mother's instinct, isn't it? She knows. Maybe mother's instinct. I'm t- I'm sorry. Perdita was almost as much of a wet blanket as, what's her name? Anita. Anita. <laughs> <laughs> so the puppies arrive and it's a very 1950s, 60s imagination of what the birthing process is because the men are in like the waiting room like you know pacing up and down roger is so so tense roger and he is puffing that pipe like anything (laughs) but just dying to uh, hand out cigars and things like that and then they are the puppies arrive and pongo has this like stoned look on his face and it's like he's delivered 15 puppies in the way he's sort of breathing afterwards now got 15 puppies to help look after and then they kind of went for like a soul punch by Mm -hmm. bringing out a dead puppy now thankfully we don't see it but we just see a little lump on this uh what was like a tea towel maybe yeah yeah Yeah. but then roger does little you know doggy cpr on it and (laughs) He just squishes his head. He squishes his head a bit. And he rubs, his, he yeah. rubs him. Yeah. He rubs him. That actually works. Said, I've seen I that said, work in real life. I said a, a video. CPR. And the dog genie comes out the lamp. Yeah. <laughs> and says you have two more wishes. Uh, but just in case we'd missed it, he's just as good as new. And I'm like, these puppies are three minutes old. He is new. He's not as good as new. 
He's new. His little nose comes out and he's so cute. And he just like sniffs the air and he's adorable. And I love him and I want to take him home. And then like, I don't know, like Twitter doesn't exist. Like there's no group chat going on. Cruella somehow in the air has smelled there's puppies. Well, um, it was they were born on their due date, to be yeah. fair. And Anita told her three weeks from today was their due date. Essentially, Perdita is like clockwork. <laughs> but you'll notice, like very nineteen, early nineteen sixties, they th- we never saw any sign that Perdita yeah. was like pregnant. I was thinking that we yeah. kept Perdita in a different room and didn't even show her really that much. Yeah, uh, and then. I've just got here, Roger's wife is an idiot. And I think, what was Roger's wife's name again? Oh, God. Mary. Okay. Mary is an idiot because she just, um, Cruella's like, oh, where are the puppies? The puppies, they're spots, they're spots. Why don't they have spots? I want them to have spots. And, I mean, everybody's, and their dog, literally, is going, I don't know if we can trust this woman, but Roger's like, oh, no, she's just really excited about the puppies. And, um, Cruella demands that she's going to buy them. She's going to buy all the puppies. And Roger puts his foot down and says, no, you are not buying these puppies. Except for he didn't say with that cool, like, low voice. He was, like, very nervous. He does a good job. Oh, he does, because Cruella's a a formidable person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a little joke with a fountain pen, and then everybody kind of turns into a Dalmatian (laughs) because they all get ink spots all over them. Were these included in your spot numbers? Because I think it's possible no. that it could have taken it to the one billion mark. And then Cruella breaks the window in the house as she slams yeah. the door. And I'm like, yep. how? And what? Okay, here's my thing that Anita is an idiot. That is her name, right? Shut up. Yeah, Anita is is the is the the the, the maid. No, the wife. I'm going because like she's now she's breaking your house. She's storming in. She's threatening to take the puppies. At what point do you go? I don't want to be your friend anymore. Like at what point was like? Can you imagine when they were school chums? Like oh, Cruella's just a little bit different. I mean, a if you want to know, she's the villain. Her name is Cruella. The word <laughs> cruel. Cruella Deville, cruel. literally cruel devil. Oh, Come devil. On, I was going to go with evil. No, Cruella, devil. Yeah, very good. Or like the villain. Yeah. The, yeah. So From it, hell hall, no it's, less. It's just like, what? Uh... But they just kind of stand there and celebrate um, the fact that Rogers stood up to her, don't they? They don't even care about the window. And it's like, no. you guys are supposed to be low on funds. Yeah. You've just turned down all this money that Cruella's offering you. Yeah, and double, now double you the have price. to pay for your window to be Double the price redone. they're worth. I don't, know the, I don't know the going rate for a puppy, do you? Considering she managed to get so many... A purebred Dalmatian would be at least £500. At least. That's like six shillings then. Yeah, at least. I have no idea what money was. Um, Considering she managed to get so many other puppies from a pet shop, apparently, it's a bit odd that she's so intent on getting these ones that belong to her so-called friends. she just wants all of them. Do you not think she was going for a nice round number and like trying to get about 100 or something? Well, then she was one short. Yeah, no. All right. Maybe she can't count. It's fine. So at which point, Pongo goes back and wants to brag about Roger to Perdita. And Perdita looks like she is still drugged up from the drugs of childbirth. Mm-hmm. She's, like, oh, she's like, what? Right. <laughs> and then we have a television scene. <laughs> I after, love this. Okay. Oh, love it's it. so it's really cute. cute. Here's where I start to turn on the film. So here we go. Ready? Because it's going to go. Oh, I've this? Got, 
why am I watching dogs watch television? Because it's cute and it's exposition and it's character no, development. No, no. How much of this yes! film? How much of this film is us watching other characters watch TV? You like Gogglebox? I, I have Shut a counter up. to that. Like the whole of the second act of this film is just dogs barking at other dogs. So no, come on, not, give me the TV no, scene. I'm not saying it's not one or the other. Like, oh, it's not as bad as that. they're both terrible. <laughs> so uh, then I have I hate this scene. Then I have Rolo, whose sole characteristic is. I'm Rolly. fat. Rolly. I'm fat. I want food. Yeah. <laughs> Me is the puppy. What's my motivation? You want food. Okay. But mother, I'm not sleepy. He's very polite. Mother, I'm not sleepy. I'm hungry. <laughs> and then, no, no, that's okay. But mother, I am hungry. And I believe he is. But I'm hungry, is- mother. I really uh, am. And then, I don't know if you noticed, it was red collars for the boy dogs. Yeah. Blue collars for the girl dogs. <laughs> and then there's a robbery. And this is where we meet, oh, what are their names? Uh, Horace and Jasper. Horace and Jasper. And um, the the adult dogs have gone out with the humans for a walk. Uh, and it's just the ditzy housekeeper. And Horace says to Jasper, one more pinch and they'll throw the keys away. Yes, yeah, so we know that they're, like... they're career criminals. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good ones, though, because they keep getting caught. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, we have the... They, they they have a great bit where they say they're from the gas company, but they've got electric company on the briefcase, and electric is even spelt <laughs> wrong, and they've had to put the... <laughs> originally, it was like electric, electric company. And it's got a little up arrow and an eye. Yeah. yeah, and so they go ahead, they take the puppies, and this is one of the other things I remember, Ethan, was I remembered from when they re-released it on video or in the theaters or something, the whole... They've taken the puppies. They've taken the puppies. I remember that 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 she sound bite. Full on hysterics. And she like runs but, down the middle of the road. Someone yeah. like there's a neighbor with like the lights on next door. Like <laughs> start there. <laughs> um, did you notice though with that briefcase with electric written on it? Um, then turns into a bit of a carpet bag when they put the puppies in it. So that's now the third Disney oh, film really? we've seen with a carpet bag. A magic <laughs> a magic carpet bag that holds much more than it looks like. <laughs> um, and then also, did you notice when they were watching TV though? When Lucky puts his paws up on the screen. That Lucky's got a horseshoe in his spots. I did no, not notice that. That's shape, cute. It was the shape of a horseshoe. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then we go from that to the paper, and someone goes, "Puppy stolen? How terrible!" And I will give him this. This was a cool reveal because then you see the green smoke go over the newspaper mm-hmm. before we know who's speaking. And Cruella wasn't as Cruella with her vocal in the first line. I thought it was a cool reveal. And this is where we find out the, um, the, the the big master plan. She is going to kidnap these puppies and then make a coat out of them. And this is where I'm going. Okay, this is our, this is, this is our plot for the movie. And I say that very, very loosely. Um, oh, it's definitely a plot. Is it, belie- like, is it believable? Is it believable? to go, yeah, I want down. She goes, we, I live for furs, darling. And I'm like, for the amount of money it would cost you to buy all these puppies, could you just buy a fur? But she wants that specific look, And she's like, she? there'll be enough for at least four or five coats out of these dogs. And I'm like, is it the kind of thing you need multiples of? Also, patchwork, because these are still puppies at this point. Like, that's got to be sewn together. Like, that's not going to look good. Furs are furs and because knowing, they're big enough to do it in, like, one or two. Knowing what I know, I think, about Dalmatians, is the thing that's got the spot on it isn't the fur... It's the skin that gets the spots on it. So in order yeah, to the, a, a fur has the skin on it too. I, this is what I was saying. 
That's just gross, though. Yeah, yeah, no, a fur is not just... Or it's not literally just the like the fur because it's the skin that keeps all of the individual hairs together. So, so it is thing. the skin as oh, well. Actually, I'll, I'll leave this for a bit later. Okay. So then um, Roger continues to be clever, I've got. Because Roger says, let's call Scotland Yard. It's Cruella. I know it's Cruella. And Roger, I'm going, I admit that she's eccentric, but she's not a thief. And say, oh, well, okay. Besides, really? Scotland Yard already already investigated her. And I'm like, really? You could just call up Scotland? Yeah, I think it was, I guess maybe. I think it's Scotland Yard is looking at the dog nappings. <laughs> just seems like a lot. I mean, it was 15 dogs. It's quite a few. And just while we're still around this scene, whilst we see Cruella in her bed on the phone, did anyone else notice that her phone and the stand is literally the devil? Yes. It's and the you... red phone stand. When you take the phone off it, it's got horns. Have you noticed there's, 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 there's like a little face on it? Yeah, and when yeah, Cruella's yeah. happy, the phone is happy, and when Cruella's angry, the phone is angry. Oh, I didn't know yeah. the face changed. Yeah. That's funny. And so uh, then we find out that Pongo's kind of gone. The humans done what they can do. It's up to us now. We need to do the is it the Twilight we need to bark? Use the Twilight bark. The Twilight bark, which is the original group chat. So, <laughs> and this turned into I don't know how many minutes it was. Of dogs relaying barking to other dogs. Yeah. Like, this is called padding runtime, is what this was. But there are some lovely little sort of cameos, if you can call them that. Yeah, if, if we go through it. First thing I have is I have a character named Danny. Yeah, he's the Great lo- Dane. He's the Great Dane. He's Scooby-Doo on steroids, is what this guy is. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, if Scooby decided it's lockdown, I'm going to get into great shape. And then did. Great shape. And, and then we have a uh, great Dane shape, yeah. And then we have <laughs> Jock yep. in a cameo. Lady and I almost wrote down Jacques again, but I didn't. It's Jock. <laughs> and then we have Peg and the Bulldog are being sold now in a dog in shop. In the pet shop, yeah. yeah. Is that progress? Um, well, I guess they would be going to a loving family rather than being sent off to slaughter. So, yeah. And then we have Lady and the Tramp both show up. Lady's on the street and Tramp is on top of a handsome cab. I did not notice that. Yes. So. And then you've got the bloodhound Towser, who definitely isn't Trusty because he's got a different name, but he looks like a younger version of Trusty. Well, in my notes, I've got. Similarly. Now there's a fucking goose? Question <laughs> mark. And then I've got. And this dog beside it is Discount Trusty. Mm. Which is funny because. Apparently, cause also. We Despite them communicating, communicating, communicating through barking, the goose knew what was going on. Like, I know geese can honk, but that's not the yeah. same thing. Apparently, every animal can speak all animal other dialects, just not human. But can't speak the them back. Well, some of them could. Well, no, oh, they can't the bark back, yeah. Could, they can't yeah, bark back. They yeah. can't bark it back. They can only, they can understand it, but they can't. Yeah, which, which, does, which does leave the question then, because if, if the goose can't bark then are pongo and perdita speaking proper english when the humans aren't around is it like toy story and they bark as a cover and the bark <laughs> has another language beyond it it's really strange because the cat talks because... to the dog the dog talks to the cat and the cows talk to the dogs are they all speaking the same language or can somehow are we supposed to believe are we is it like the, the tardis where he can understand every other <laughs> alien language i think we're not i think they think must be able much. to understand each other but just can't talk back in any other noise than their own. Okay. I don't know. Ethan, thoughts? Dogs confuse me, and the language... Ugh. I didn't 
think about that until right now, and now I'm just trying to comprehend it. And then we meet the sheepdog, and I don't even know the sheep. The colonel, was that his name? Yeah. And this is where it got painful, because the horse and the cat are getting it right. The and The captain and Sergeant Tips. Yeah. And I'll try to mind them, but the sheepdog, if this was supposed to be yeah. funny, I did not. 15 spotted puddles, I was literally like shouting at the television yeah. at this point. It was painful. But I do like Sergeant Tibbs, I have written down. I like Sergeant yeah. Tibbs as well. I'd also just like to quickly add, whilst the um, I was watching this, I didn't have headphones in, um, and my my bedroom window was open, and the dog was outside, and when the twilight bark was going off, occasionally I heard a, oh, like as if to be like, what is this? What's going on? And from my bed, the cat was staring at me with like daggers as if to be like, excuse me, get that off right now. So both of my animals heard the twilight bark and were trying to respond to it. So at least it's accurate. However, this is where we have some absolute lazy storytelling. Because now Sergeant Tibbs of the horse, one of them goes... Oh, I just remembered puppy barking last night. That was Tibbs, yeah. Tibbs. Just two nights ago. Just two nights. From, from, from the... Hell Hall. From the Hell Hall, uh, up on the hill. Oh, I, I sure... Look, and then the cat goes like... The dog, sorry, the sheepdog goes, no one's lived there in years. No one goes, there's smoke coming out of the chimney. And I'm like, this is just <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, Tibbs breaks in very conveniently into the house to scope it out. I enjoyed how when he runs across the trees, he kind of gets... Well, he doesn't get smaller, but, you know, he gets further away and looks smaller. And he looks like a squirrel. So it's like in Sword in the Stone where we were talking about the squirrels. I wonder if they used film. any of that animation sort of style for, so. for both animals and just changed yeah. the bits. Um, and then, uh, so if he breaks it, if he were to steal something, would that make him a cat burglar? <laughs> yes. Just a thought. Yes. Um, and then we get, to, guess what, guys? We get to watch animals watching more television. <laughs> they love the TV. Oh, it's stupid. That's Lucky's Lucky thing, isn't it? Because he won't TV. leave. And then we get Jasper and Horace. We're going to meet them a little bit more intimately. And we know that Jasper likes his wine, it would look like. And Horace likes his sandwiches. And I want Horace to make me a sandwich because that thing looked amazing. I really it love how look- Rory yeah. steals the meat out of the sandwich runs yeah. away. <laughs> The uh, I, are I very said, cute. I want Horace to make me a sandwich, and Rolo would seem to agree I have. It's Roly. Roly, sorry. And then we have um, Cigar Smoking by Jasper, and that gives us our trifecta. I don't know what the other... Oh, I do know what the other film is. There's another film that has all three of these in it. Can you guess what it is? Cigars, cigarettes, and pipes. It's got to be from the same era, if not a little bit before. Uh Alice in Wonderland. No. Oh. I'm thinking Peter Pan. No. Good guess, though. Pete, the peace pipe. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think who smoked in Mary Poppins. Quite a few of them smoked in that. Um, I don't think we see any cigarettes in Mary Poppins. No, that's what I know. That's what cigarettes do look kind of like a dirty. Did Walt smoke cigarettes, though? I think he did. No, yeah. he was. Oh. I thought he was a pipe. Oh, maybe. It's not the I rescuers, is it? Oh. No, you're closer in that regard. It is um, The Great Mouse Detective. Oh, I haven't seen that. Uh, okay. Oh. Because the rat smoked a giant cigar. Obviously, Basil himself smoked a pipe. So I don't know who smokes a cigarette, but that's the only one of the three I can't think of. But it's the only film that has that same trifecta. Um, and then it turns out the dogs, 
can get out through the back window. Uh, and then I've got, where is this DeVille place? Because we cut to Pongo and Perdita moving towards it. It's in Suffolk. And it, well, you say Suffolk. It must be Canada because it gets, in no time, like the g- biggest, deepest snowfall <laughs> that you can imagine. And we have this scene, and I do want to draw attention to this. They are crossing this river, and it's icy, and it's moving, and Pongo's in it, and Perdita is starting to get pushed back by the waves or, or, or the current. And then they, like, fade away to the other scene. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what just happened to Perdita? Like, what? what what's happened with, with Perdita? Oh, my God. Like, it's actually a moment of tension in this film. And they went. Good old montage. They went, lunch, lunch. And off they went. <laughs> so, like, the songwriters are earning their keep at lunchtime. The animators are not. And so then we go back to more watching television. And Cruella's there this time. And it's more runtime. And I'm like, how much of this runtime is just watching television? And then Cruella turns the TV off. And I have, thank you, Cruella, in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the name of the place is the Old DeVille Place. Now, I pause on this because I want to remind you, this is a case that we were told that Scotland Yard investigated. <laughs> there is an old DeVille place where 99 puppies are now. Now, granted, we know that 84 of them are bought and paid for. So we're told by the puppies themselves. Yeah. But they are bought and paid for. But 99 puppies are there. Like the, this, When Scotland Yard is doing their great investigation, <laughs> as is said by Roger's wife, um, Okay, so. No one's going to answer you. Anita. <laughs> uh, and then, why do I have down in my notes, Tibbs would be grace. Oh, that's right. Because all the dogs need to get out through this hole in the back of the uh, door. Besides the fact they could have gotten into the hole in the window that is made when they like break something earlier. No one does that. Oh, wait. There's not a hole in the window. It's the fact that Tibbs came through the window. That's right. Anyway. Uh, there's now a hole in the wall, and then I go through that, but they all want to go through it at once, at which point Tibbs, in a practice to have a job at Tesco, policing people being two meters apart, <laughs> is like, no, no, you have to line up. And he's actually quite good at getting them all through. Everybody get, you'll, you'll get through, you'll get through. I and learned some lessons from Tibbs for, for uh, work tomorrow. Did you? <laughs> Just grab them by the tail and pull them yeah, back. Grab them the tail. <laughs> and then there's more television. They're going to watch Guess My Crime. I Which actually so was a fun thing. The only thing it did for me was it gave us at least a race against time because you knew once the race against time was over, yeah. they were going to do in the puppies. And they get really quite savage at this point. I would just, can I just interject for a second? Yeah, go ahead. About, it's, a, it's on topic. Cruella at one point, whilst she's there talking with Horace and Jasper, says, got any chloroform? If you're going to skin something to kill it, makes sense. Bashing them over the head when you're already short on fur because they're tiny puppies is not a good idea because you're now losing all of the fur off of their head where you've smashed it in. It's just not clever. Like, it, that doesn't work like that. Sorry, rant over. Taking a very dark this turn. Is Georgia, our resident dog skinner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really like. No, I've, I've skinned a squirrel before. That's, that's how I know. Uh, okay, uh, squirrel. <laughs> Prob- probably the squirrel from uh, from Sword of the Stone, or the, or the cat that she thought was a squirrel. Yeah. Um, I really, really enjoyed how when Cruella is still in the house, she says, 
um, that she'll be back first thing in the morning and the job better be done or she'll call the police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going to work out? Um, it's quite a savage of a premise, though, the point of you bash, like this cute puppy, I'm going to bash him on the heads and then you skin. Like, this is savage. It's absolutely savage, yeah. Um, and then we cut back to Perdita and Pongo, who are just fine. <laughs> I guess they got out of the river somehow. Yep. Probably cut because the film was running long. I I looked it up. We are told that this Deville Manor is in Suffolk. Yeah, that's not. That's quite close to where we are. We're in Norfolk right now. That's near us. It's it's our neighbouring county. And it takes us an hour and forty minutes on the train to get to London, where we know that Pongo and Padita live. Like the journey to London was like. Oh, sorry, from London to Suffolk is like one fifth of the time it takes to get back. I guess. Yes, yeah, yeah. so they. I think they it's downhill from, all the way it, to Suffolk. It must be, but it's n- at least ninety miles. I looked it up. Suffolk to London is ninety-four miles, yep. according to Google Maps. There is no way those dogs do that in one evening. No matter how dogs? fast they go. Maybe they, uh, when they got into the river, the reason they cut the movie there was because actually then the river carries them all the way to the next <laughs> Which, which we would have been fine if they were moving forward with the river, but they would have <laughs> to push them backward. It changes. <laughs> they were going the wrong way, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> they were ahead of the Pocahontas Essex and they went, no, nope, And was no, like, no. follow the river yes. then. Um, and then we've got, uh, oh, I've lost my spot. So you've got the like the chase through the house, and then the puppies oh. for some reason end up back in the same room that they escaped from in the first place. And it's like, well, this was progressive. Well, before this, though, I've got the sheepdog, the colonel, greets Perdita and Pongo, and we've just left a moment where the, like the puppies are about to be skinned any moment, and they're hiding, and <laughs> yeah. and the sheepdog like trips on his feet and falls on his face. And there's even like a sound like a as he hits the <laughs> the ice and goes, oh, so be careful now. I'm like. Like, feel the tone of the film. Like, this is, like, I'm not laughing. I'm like, there's, there's puppies. I'm like going, those puppies are about to die. <laughs> he fell on his face. <laughs> oh, wait, did you miss that? Because we're going to do the same joke again in a moment. <laughs> I thought it was quite funny because he said, follow me after they'd gone past him. Uh, we, I get it. Everything the sheepdog does is inept, yet all the other animals respect him and call him Colonel. It's because he's old. <sighs> As the owner of a sheepdog, I would like to just point out that uh, he and their intelligence is not portrayed well in this film. Okay. So two things that aren't portrayed well are the sheepdog's intelligence and the optimum way to kill a dog in your perspective if you want to skin it. <laughs> and the journey from Suffolk to London, yes. It's all sorts of inaccuracies. That's my trifecta for this film. Um, and then... Uh, back to the mass murder. And, oh, if Pongo and Perdita are in, why isn't, like, the colonel, like, he, they get into the house, and the colonel's just like, I'm going to sit out here. You going to go on and help? No. Again, because he's old. He's, he's not got the same agility. I'll tell you what, Tibbs, Tibbs is an all-star. And so there's an escape and a revolt, and this is where one of the puppies goes, she's going to make coats out of us. They're like, oh, good on you. And then they all end up in a stable with Mr. Tibbs and the horse and the colonel. And they run out the back. The puppies do. And but they did, before they do it, they say, we, we better run for it. And I was like, hang on. You guys just like like handled them very easily five minutes ago <laughs> with, your, with, with, with your numbers. Why are you not trying this again? 
Also, if those Dalmatians bit Horace and Doris or whatever his name is hard enough, like they would not go after them again. Oh. And if you, like, have you ever Horace been bitten is... by a puppy? Oh, it's bad. Their teeth are sharp. Like, Horace, yeah, if they went, if Horace they, is, yeah. Horace is always looking to quit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's always like, "Do you think we should be doing this, Jasper?" Like you give him one bite, he's done. And, yeah, but, and Jasper's not doing it. But then by he gets scared into it, doesn't he? He's he's just so below everybody else that yeah. as soon as anyone turns around and goes, "No, you idiot, do it," he does. Because he's fat. He's short and he's fat. Are we talking about Roly again? Yes. Speaking of Roly, I loved how his first <laughs> words. His first words to Pongo when they come to rescue him is, did you bring me anything to eat, Dad? Oh, <laughs> um, so, hitting the crooks. So the horse, a great bit. So Mr. Tibbs uses, like, <laughs> like the horse's, like, he ears is, as, like, yeah. triggers and, like, kicks uh, Jasper and Horace through the back of the barn, which is the because wor- it just causes them to see the escape route. Like yeah, if, you, if you hadn't have done really the vibe, it just felt like we need them to get away, but then we need to find a way where they can catch him again. I know, we'll do this. And then this is the second, so the first half of the movie is all like watching TV and um, barking. And the second half of the movie is just like watching these puppies walk at a slow pace and break into the... Oh, jeez. So then we get... <laughs> You've got the the dogs all together and they discover that there's 99 of them and look really, really shocked. And it's like, guys, you've just been in the same room as them. They're all in front of you. It's quite yeah. clear. There's well, a lot of them. The best part is, at first they see the 15 of them and they're like, oh, you're here, here. And also it's like, oh, wait, what about over here? And there's like 84 more puppies. So they just went, oh, in that room to our left, there's 84 more puppies. So they decide they're going to go on the river, which is now frozen because that's how quickly rivers freeze in England. Um. <laughs> And so they go there. And then there's a, a collie ex machina that happens because yeah. one of them's struggling. And you're like, wow, they might go to some dark places and have some puppies die on us. And Nova's collie goes, oh, we're so glad you made it, Pongo. We've got some shelter here for the night. I'm like, what do you mean for the night? Like, you guys made this in like 60 minutes earlier. But off they go. And they end up in a scene where there's a bunch of cows. And the cows are fawning over the puppies. And it sets up a situation where the cows volunteer to give up their milk for the puppies. The puppies come and they all kind of suckle. Uh, And this was almost cut from the film because Disney executives and the MPAA felt it was unnatural. But it's really sweet. And of course, Rolo? Rolly. 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 Like Rolly-poly because he's fat and round. Rolly, of course, can't can't get in there at first. He has to wait for everybody else. And then he finally finally does... And they all fall asleep. I've got down that they're all the perfect hosts. I just thought this was really like heartwarming and lovely. And this is where I still have a problem with the fact that it takes forever to get back. Because I'm sorry, I feel like I'm repeating myself because this is all the film does. It's all it does. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to walk there and then we're going to walk back. I mean, at least 101, you know, not 101, at least uh, uh, Lord of the Rings, there was a ring that made you disappear. That was kind of cool. And like Schmeagol was kind of like having like an identity crisis throughout. Yeah, and that was three films. So it's like... Mass puppy murder not cool enough for you for a, for like a plot. Mass Cru- puppy murder isn't cool. Cruella de Vil is a better villain than a giant eye in the sky. I'll give you that. Yeah. But speaking of eyes in the skies that see everything, in the morning 
they're walking down and they kind of go across a road and thank God Cruella honks. Because if this she doesn't... This is what I wanted to come back to. Go. Oh my goodness. She's going beep, 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 beep. Like, why are you doing this? You know these dogs are clever. They've escaped you several times. You are literally giving them a 30 second well, heads up to is, get out of the this way. This is how Cruella is like Sauron, which I wasn't planning on making this connection, but it's, 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 it's developed. <laughs> is that as she's driving at like 50 miles an hour... She can spot puppy tracks, not on the road, off to the side behind fences. Now, as someone who's driven a fair amount of time on snowy roads in Canada, where your car might be sliding to the left or right, not because you're bad drivers, because that's how ice works. Uh, like, you're not looking out to the left and the right and being able to pick up, like, a small imprint. <laughs> but, man, Cruella de Vil needs to have a job as, like, a tracker, because she is that good. <laughs> I just- did you also enjoy though that she tells um Horace and Jasper to drive carefully and then like speeds yeah. off at lightning pace? And then they go into this village and like Cruella and Jasper and Horace are not letting the fact they're in a in a village of other people stop them from being villains, mainly because no one else in this I think it's just a village of empty houses. Because no one comes it's London the, again. Except, it's Mary Poppins yeah, London. Except for the guy fixing like the motor on the truck, we're told that'll be fixed in like an hour. I'm like, which mechanic does this guy go to? Because I I, I want that. Um, and so we have our race against time, and then we realize that um, there's soot, and if you go in soot, you'll look like a a lab. That's because Patch and Lucky push each other yeah. into the. Into the fireplace and then get half covered in soot. And each. Cruella's not questioning why, in this village full of Dalmatian puppies, she's looking for there's like 99 labs. And I know it's a kid's movie, but, but it's such nine, a kid's movie. There's at not times. 99 all at one time because they take them out in batches, so to fool her. But there's still batches <laughs> of like a lot of puppies. Yeah, I mean, I admit my case isn't watertight. I was just trying to <laughs> <laughs> negate it a little bit. She got 99 puppies. <laughs> but a Dalmatian ain't one. Uh, <laughs> and this takes forever, this march in the soot to the van. Forever. Yeah, we, didn't, we haven't talked about what they say when they're in the soot first, though. Which is what? One of them says, I always wanted to get good and dirty. Oh, and then... The, the, these these are the girls who are rejoicing that for once in their life they get to be dirty. Oh, and one says, yeah, yeah. That's the, the Pongo says, that's the stuff. The blacker, the better. <laughs> and I've just written in my notes, oh, my. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And They're covering themselves in soot. And soot I'm, is very, very black. And, and I'm back. So there we go. I don't, I don't think it was written with any intention, well, but course, it's just the kind wasn't. of stuff that... What did George say? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, I'm suggesting that it's, like, actually got racist undertones. I think it's, it's just the kind of stuff that you wouldn't be able to put in a film now because you'd be expected we'd to think be, through it and we'd be, be more, more politically we'd correct be more aware and stuff like that would make word it choice yeah. but and so then we've got then cruella's theory is now i'm going to run this truck off the road now cruella's only fear here can be i won't get the puppies so in her quest to get the puppies to make a coat out of them she's going to kill them all by having them get smashed by a truck as it falls off a cliff Georgia, tell us, would Again, this make an effective Again, not a good way to preserve the fur. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, also, sure. can I just point out, it's a really good job that this van owner didn't think to close the back of his van before leaving. Well, yeah, it's careless, isn't it? Um, and so there's a big crash because as Cruella is sort of stuck to the back of the van, along come Jasper and... and Horace. Horace. I'm going to call him Roly. Uh, Jasper and Horace... And they crash into Cruella. Cruella, whose car's already had, like, the engine take off. And Cruella, who's got, like, glowing, like, red cartoon. I think she's a cartoon. But glowing red, like, like uh, oh, psychedelic eyes going that, on here. That bit has always really bothered me. Oh, I, I just think it's ridiculous. I think the animation's and, crap. And did, did we notice that Roger's song is on the radio while she's driving? Oh, is it? So it's, but they've actually used Cruella's name in the like licensed version of the song, and I'm like, he he would totally be done for slander for that. Yeah. Uh, and so as you get back to the house, they're listening to the radio, and Roger turns it off, and this is where you get some very lazy. But Roger, that's your first big hit. <laughs> oh, I know, but I can't. Or maybe so, it's in the house, sorry, rather than... Yeah, it's in the yeah. house. So somehow, rather than like going to look for the puppies, whatever, and your other dogs have run away, they went, you know what now is the time to do? Now is the time to license my song. <laughs> record, and record it. Decorate. <laughs> I mean, they've been gone for... A, like, there was no mention of Christmas before they ran away. How long have they been away from home? No. Is this Lord of the Rings? Have they been gone for months? I would just like to point out they have put all the authorities on the case, so they are looking for the dogs, and also oh, they're, Scotland Yard. they're very upset about the fact that they're decorating for Christmas and the dogs aren't there. Like Nanny is still distraught; she can't even bring herself to put up the decorations. Oh, this is where Nanny goes. Well, great. Sometimes I think I hear them barking, and then I realise something. Here, woof, woof. See, there it goes again. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just awesome when stuff is that convenient for you. And then they come in, and oh, of course they're Nanny. all covered in soot, which of course someone goes. What's with all these black puppies? No, it's soot. They're all in soot. And there's so much dirt now on on the clucky from Robin Hood, whatever the, the Angela Lansbury. What? What's Nanny? her name? Nanny, thank you. <laughs> that she looks like it. Everybody's a Dalmatian now. And so they go. And so first they see the 15 puppies who they own, plus um, plus. Uh, Pongo and Perdita and then they go oh look we got all our puppies isn't that great and of course then Nanny goes not just 15 <laughs> and you look over any other room and the other 84 are just chilling <laughs> like nice, <laughs> nice and quietly like quiet enough you didn't notice the other 84 <laughs> dogs coming and he goes we'll keep them all <laughs> don't have a big enough house we'll buy a bigger house because one song apparently that about yeah. about a sociopath. Times were good for musicians yes. back in the sixties. But before Napster, but, like money was very good for recording artists. Before Napster, <laughs> you've shown your age there. No, I na- don't no, even know what that is. Napster was the thing that changed. It's, it's not just because I'm old. It's because it's the thing that changes. <laughs> okay. It's the thing that changes money for for entertainment. Full stop. But the. Yeah, there's, there's this um, funny bit. Well, I found it funny anyway. When Roger says, where do they all come from? And then he kind of rubs Pongo on the head and says, oh, Pongo, <laughs> you old rascal. And it's like the suggestion that he's fathered all hundred, all 99 puppies. And then they start improv and says, we'll have a Dalmatian plantation. At which point then he goes ahead and they write a song and they all know the lines and the harmonies and they sing it as we kind of fade to black. Now, my biggest issue this is, Roger, you are full of shit. 
you told us early, always music first, music then lyrics. And we saw the opposite happen in this thing. We saw lyrics and then the song happened. What, lyrics as in he said the words Dalmatian Plantation? Yes. This is a guy who came down and just went da-da-da-da-da-da. He, he didn't have any lyrics. And this time he went Dalmatian Plantation went... In which case, if he's this good of a songwriter, why has he been so bad the whole film? Because he was trying to write about love, but now he stopped trying to write oh, about love. I will give there you, you that. There you go. There's your answer. I will give you that. And that ends 101 Dalmatians, which actually, as far as reviewing the, the, the plot of a film, was one of our quicker ones. And as it, as it ends, all the dogs no. are barking again and like through all of London and you get all the lights come on. And it's like a positive version of the Twilight Bark. Yes. So, back to my prediction at the start, where I said, I predict, I'm going to say when this thing is over, it's going to be a great Disney villain ruined by a um, mediocre storyline. I would like to open up the question, is Cruella de Vil one of the great Disney villains? No. No, he's a good song, but she's That's not it. Really it's not even her song. The song is much more effective it's than she is. named after her. She is so one note, you know, and I'm not saying you have to be multi, like, not everybody has to be Scar. Scar's great. Or like the, um, Long John Silver in Treasure Planet has got like a really big story arc, hasn't he? Because he's not quite a villain. Is he a villain? That's, that's a great question. Is yeah. he a villain? I mean, uh, I keep forgetting he's what his not... name is. Lee Shen? Shen, Shen Li? <laughs> um, I've forgotten now. Shan, is it Shan Yu? Shang, Shang. Shan Yu. Shan Yu. Uh, he's great. Now, he's not complicated, he, but at least he's uh, like, he goes, I want to conquer. You build a wall, I'm going to show you that's yeah. arrogance. I'm coming to take your city. But I, he's I get behind that. Like, he's kind of quiet and menacing, isn't yeah. he? So I suppose his lack of dialogue gives, gives Cru- him a little bit more. And I know it's the 60s and it's a different time and therefore, you know, villains were more over the top in one dimension. I get that, but Cruella de Vil is such a, and I know it's, but I mean, she's such a cartoon character. Yeah, she's just she's ridiculously evil, isn't she? And she's like her name is literally an awful devil. And yet we have Anita, who's like, oh, it's my friend. Oh, she's a bit kooky. And I'm just like, I admit she's eccentric. She's eccentric. (laughs) Like it's like I I just don't. I I I can't buy in enough that there's a reason why she'd be in their lives. The thing is that you can't even say it's because it's the 60s, because before that you've had you've just had Sleeping Beauty. And that has genuinely one of the most terrifying villains of like the early Disney films. See, I'll be honest, I don't really remember it. No, no, She's no. uh Maleficent's horrifying. Like, I do yeah, from, I, I, I know that's who she turns into. I, I I'm familiar with the character animation as well. But uh and so yeah, she's she's iconic as far as that look goes. Mm. And so yeah, but I mean I, as a kid, though, I knew who Cruella de Vil was. Because mm. the song is good. I thought I she'd be a lot more are. present. Take away, the best things about Cruella aren't Cruella. The best things about Cruella are the song, the car. The car is as much of a character as she is. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's smoking. It's, it's like she is. She's tall and thin with this giant white coat. And her, her character model is fantastic. Half white, half black. Like she almost is like a walking Dalmatian herself. Because <laughs> she's dressed in black I really... and white. She's kind of like if Yzma had an older sister. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's actually, there's actually quite... If you, 
There's quite a similarity there. Except for the fact that Cruella's supposed to be quite young and Yzma's yeah. supposed to be old. Well, so she's years, like... la- years later. But Cruella yeah. is like very thin, but with that coat on, she looks very big and menacing. Mm. <sighs> I don't know, Georgia, what do you think? Is Cruella one of the, one of the, one of the great Disney villains? I really like her. Okay. Um, she's not. She doesn't do much in the she film. She doesn't do but anything. What she does do. But what she does do, I enjoy. I like her dialogue. Um, I think it's quite funny. I think it's very sassy. It's a different vein of a villain that we've not seen to this point in Disney history, which I enjoy. Um, I think there's enough there to be classed as a good villain because she literally wants to kill all these puppies, but she won't do it herself. Like It's very much a entitled that. rich kind of person. Yeah. And I, I really quite like it on that level. Also, just as a just as to mention the parks because i have to a cruella meat is incredible she's so good in the parks like she's very very sassy very dismissive of people it's like downright rude to people sometimes when she's walking through the park because she can be because she's a villain um but yeah yeah, it looks like a great job Uh, her and the evil queen look like they have the best time working (laughs) in the parks um so yeah, no, I would. I met her once when I was about ten years old in Disney the first time I went, and she was just like signing autograph books, surrounded by people, and was going, "Yes, I'll take yours. No, I don't want yours. You smell like it was like very much like this character caricature, but in real life, and it was very very cool. How much more powerful is this character in a pre-internet age, in a time where you can't just watch Quill Deville on demand? There aren't memes going around. There's not all this intertextuality. But Cruella de Vil literally exists on the screen at the movie house when it's in theaters and maybe on the trailer you might see on your TV. But outside of that, you can't control. Does that make any sense what I'm saying to you here? Yeah, I, no, no, yeah. I think... I think she's still... I think she's still quite iconic but, because of those visuals. She's so striking. Something we haven't talked about at all is almost the setting in which you watch a movie. So... Uh, in the actual cinema, with the lights down, you're looking up. She is bigger than uh, you by several times over. The sound from the car comes screeching through the cinema, and that's how you encounter Cruella de Vil. Is that, uh, how different is your reaction to that going to be as a child, as a young person, versus now with the amount of media we have at our disposal at all times. And let's face it, I mean, Georgia, you talk very, very often about the idea that sometimes you're competing with other things for your attention as you're watching these texts. Yeah. You know, is there something to be said for a time when we, we do how to be invested? And if you watch something, it was an event. You went to the cinema and there were conditions made to enhance your immersion in it rather than what we have now, which is just all the content you want. But because of that, does any of it ever hit home? I really think if you saw this when it first came out or even in its first few re-releases, Cruella de Vil makes a massive impact because she is so striking. Can you imagine that scene when she, you see her eyes and she's driving the car yeah. on a massive cinema screen? Like that is one, terrifying, but two, incredibly memorable. And then you get the song that goes with it as well. You're not forgetting her anytime soon. Yeah. I'll give them credit. They got to a third act and didn't put fire into it. <laughs> we got we, we we still had their fear of heights and dying from falling from like from like a tall but Cruella doesn't die. Cruella No, that's all we get. They just, they the just have a car time. crash. <laughs> they just they, they just have a car crash. It's, it's it's all that happens. 
I wonder why yeah. that is. I don't know what the villains were like then. I mean, Mim doesn't die in Sword in the Stone. Uh, does Maleficent die in Sleeping Beauty? I don't want to do a spoiler or anything like that, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Does yeah. She? Is it because she's a witch? Maybe that's the difference? I don't know. It just seems I believe she's it's... a dragon when yeah, she, she dies, actually. Ah, uh, there yeah. you go. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um... <sighs> What do we think about 101 Dalmatians? I mean, I mean, the conversation's about Cruella, which I think should speak volumes about, about the, the thing itself, but how do we feel about it? I didn't care for it. I think it it's just, it goes on. I think it's the same problem I had when we watched Sword in the Stone. There's just so much nothing in this. It's, it is to pad time. And yeah. I mean... I I won't lie. I don't think my attention wasn't completely on this, but it's it is it that it just doesn't it doesn't grab you the same way that some of the older films do. And I don't know if it's the lack of music or just the fact that seeing the same sort of dogs just do the same things. And I I Corella just she's not really there. She's in like a couple scenes, but in those scenes she's present. But that's all I I remember. And I think my main memory is the parks and also the idea of her as a villain. I think that's why a lot of people have fonder memories because they go, Oh, here's this terrifying villain. She wants to kill dogs. Also listen to some nice jazzy tunes. No one really focuses on the story. It's always just that one aspect. Yeah. I mean, the AFI listed Cruella de Vil as one of their, that's number 39 on their list of all time villains. They had top 50 villains and she was 39. I don't know when the list was. I think the, it's the idea of Cruella de Vil and the character design and the aesthetic, not actually the impact on the story. Because mm. Cruella doesn't do that much in the grand scheme of things. She just yells a lot. It's the threat of what she, rep- a... what she represents, I guess. I was going to say, does that make her an even better villain? Because she doesn't, like, she's ruling. She's in charge of people. Like, she's got people oh. doing her dirty work for what her. Was the, what, like, was the, what was that? She's the... like a mob boss. What was the guy's name last week? Frollo? Oh, uh, Frollo. Yeah. So you get Frollo, yeah. you get Chen Li. Shen Yi. Shen Yi. Shen Yi, thank you. Um, you know, like she's better than Mim, right? Like, yeah. is, is, is that our low water? Is she the worst? I mean, I don't get too out of ourselves. But, you know, Mim, Mim's not been great. Uh, the ginger kid from Frozen, he's not great. <laughs> like she's better, she's better than that. I mean, at least you know she's the villain the first time she shows up. She, she, she's C tier. She's not Jafar. No way, no, no. She's not Jafar. She's not. She doesn't really have any. Frollo or Shen. Shen I, I, sorry, I keep getting the name wrong. Shen Yu. Shen Yu. She doesn't really have like a strong enough motive, does she? Like she just wants to make a coat out of the puppies, but there's no particular reason why it needs to be these puppies, and it's not. You know, like Jafar wants to wants the power and to be able to rule, and yeah. it's not. You know, having a coat isn't really the same kind of her character. Pull. Her character development is: I'm crazy about. F- I live for furs, which yeah. is actually that's a fun, literally what she says. That's yeah. a funny line. I live for furs because in order to get furs, furs something yeah. else has to die. Interesting, yeah. but it's just so like that's her character. I live for furs. Why? Because okay, great. She's just <laughs> evil, she, and she drives. <laughs> she drives badly. You know, like the trope of a of of a back of a very dated idea of the woman driver. There's <laughs> a lot fact, of dated a, references in I this. I think the the van driver actually calls her a crazy oh, yes. woman driver. Yeah, crazy woman driver. And is, I'm like, is, is, is he's it, not wrong. Is it crazy woman driver? Is that what <laughs> yeah. he says? Yeah. 
Yeah, I wrote so, it down. So, yeah. Um, I'd say whose story is it? Dalmatian 82. Pongo? <laughs> yeah, I think Pongo. I think by the very fact that we're introduced to the story and told the story mm. through Pongo's eyes kind of makes it Pongo's story, doesn't yeah. it? But, oh, yeah. I mean, it's... It, there's not much there's not much of a story really is there like it's like puppies are in danger puppies are saved here's a question happily ever after if cruella's overrated as a villain and we can we, we've talked about that is jasper underrated as a villain as far ja- as jasper's the tall one yeah, that's like jasper's wanting to kill one. things yeah. yeah he's he's horrible yeah, he is he's horrible. even horrible to horace yeah, yeah like, no i think he is horrible we yeah. have we have the trope of the bumbling sidekick but this is one of the few times we have oh this guy's proper like ed, not edgy isn't like oh he's edgy i mean but he's sharp he's mean he's cruel i think you're yeah. giving him too much mm. credit no he's got a character to him i think so i don't i, I don't think, think he really has i think horace has got more much more about him than jasper horace is that typical somewhat you know weak sidekick he's wiggins he's iago he's He's so much better than wiggins i know that i i know that i love wiggins little gift basket line but well we'll we'll come to that in a minute but horace fits into that trope he's the weasley weakling you know he's like he's he's yeah Yeah. Mm. whereas we don't get this edgy one the one who can actually do the job and he's not funny. Combine if you combined Cruella and Horace Jasper, yeah. which one is Jasper. it? Jasper. Put those as one yeah. character, and you've got a much better villain. Or have them married. Like, that's. I huh? thought have them married. When I was a kid, yeah, so I yeah, I, or something like that. I've I knew nothing about this film. I've only seen bits and pieces when I was in like after school care, and I'd see like things on the TV, and I knew nothing about this film. My understanding was that Jasper was was uh, Cruella Deville's uh, husband. I thought they were married. I mean, that would make sense then, because she's bossing him around and he's doing. Yeah. His, the, otherwise, you know, well, better be worth all the money we get. It's like mm. what, what? What? This is ugh. the idea they're going to skin a bunch of puppies just because they want money because they're like low time crooks. I get it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I really think the film is improved Breakfold and the argument about Cruella being a good villain is kind of ceased if you have Cruella be with Horace the whole time yeah. and yeah. get rid of Jasper completely and Wait, just have Horace? that be Cruella. No, Jasper. Sorry, I keep getting them the wrong way around. Cruella and Jasper stay together and you get rid of Horace. No, get rid of the get rid of the evil one uh, and have him replaced by Cruella and just have the bumbling idiot as her sidekick the whole time. He's not going to do it, though, is he? And she's not going to get her hands dirty. Interesting. Um, Are mistakes too high for a Disney film? Yes, no. Like, Like, mass murder of puppies who we saw be born, one of whom (laughs) brought back from the dead. We don't know which one it was, but one of them is brought back from the dead. Lucky. Was Lucky the one brought from the dead? His name's Lucky. Does that mean he's that one? Yeah. Oh, okay, I missed that one. <laughs> I I I feel for as intense a movie as it should be about. Hey, do you want to watch fifteen poppies that then turn into uh, was it like ninety nine poppies possibly get turned into you know a coat? Yeah, it's not really that tense. 
I didn't really feel there were that many yeah, stakes at I, points. Well, I mean, it, I it's literally not just their life and death, but skinning. Mm. We know mm. it, it won't happen because mm. they can't, like, they're not going to skin 99 puppies in a Disney film. Like, if can, this yeah. was rated R. I don't know if you can Xerox that much was... blood. Although the bits where Jasper is walking around with the, like, is it like a crowbar or something? Whatever his yeah, weapon yeah. of choice like a tire is. He's, iron. He's pretty menacing. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, there are times when he gets very close to those puppies. And, like, there's, I think it's the colonel is in, like, barking at him from the door of the barn at one point. And he's, like, swinging this thing round at him. And he's like, the colonel's, like, an old dog. He's not going to be able to get mm. out of the way. He's going to die. And they argue, like, it's this argument, like, you, I'll bash him on the head and you skin him. No, no. I'll bash him on the head and you skin him. Like, one of these is a good job to have. Yeah. Like, to be wrong. fair, I would, I would a puppy on the head to kill it is a lot quicker than having to skin them all. Yeah, but, just yeah. Yeah, but you're still the one who has to kill it. I, I would rather True. do the bashing around the head than this the skinning. This is, that's going on the quote poster. <laughs> 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 we can have that as this week's poll. Would you rather bash a puppy oh, around the head or skin it once it's dead? I, I, think, I think that could cause some controversy. I think that could be problematic. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, let's go through the usual bits, shall we? I mean, um, favorite character. Are you starting with me? Uh, yep. Okay, so um, I'm I'm gonna cheat and do loads of honourable mentions because I actually really like Pongo and Purdy. Well, there's like three um, other people who could like probably give 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 okay. their reasons too. Yeah, but I'm just I'm just gonna quickly say who I like. Um, so I really like Pongo and Purdy as a couple in their dynamic and love Nanny. Um, but I actually really really like Horace. Um, I think you've massively glossed over some of his best parts in the film. Um, which are when basically he says something really intelligent and Jasper tells him to stop being an idiot. That is a bit of a, tr- yeah, that, 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 is, um, that is a pattern. So there's, um, when, they're, when they're in the suits, uh, Horace says, look, Jasper, do you, just, do you suppose they disguise themselves? And Jasper just goes, of course they have, you idiot, and oh. dismisses him. And um, when they're on the ice, he says, what if they went down the frozen creek so as not to leave their tracks? And Horace, you idiot, dogs ain't that smart. And it's just a constant, he's constantly being put down and it's no surprise that he is so submissive because he doesn't get the chance to shine, but he's always right. Had the word idiot just been invented at this time? Because it gets used so much in this film. I don't know I think else it's that. because they think it's a particularly English sounding word. Because everybody was calling everybody else an idiot mm. in this. Yeah. Just, just it was just it was way over as in, in my other life as an English teacher, I'd be sitting there going like, "There are other words, fine synonyms. <laughs> you overuse this." <laughs> At the point where I would start a count in the margin and go, "Idiot count." I go one, two, three, four, <laughs> five. Like it was so much in this script. Ethan, you're not an idiot, but please give us your rating. Uh my rating. Not no, your rating. Your I'm the idiot. <laughs> please tell me your favorite say. character. <laughs> I. Yeah, I was about to say Arthur. I don't know who Arthur is. Uh, Roger, I yeah. he's the only one that I like. Yeah, Roger is all right. Yeah, I he's 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 the only one that I could actually sort of not vibe with, but like was memorable to me. He's just a sucky little li- li- little kid. I love him. In, in, he, go ahead. He's like his his relationship with uh, Anita is just really sort of cute, and it's sweet, and it's very idealistic, and I. He, I mean, he has the most memorable song of the entire thing. Now, he just says heart. It's nice. He's the only person that sings. Interesting. In the book, 
he was not a uh, songwriter. In the book, he's a financial wizard who like helps England get out of its debt. Oh, that's even oh. cooler than a song. But why do you have him be a songwriter? Because this way you can organically work out for characters to break into song in your movie. But still, there's only two songs in the there. whole film. Or possibly, well, possibly this extra one that we're debating at the start. But... I'm sorry, but out of all the things with the... Bo- I did not need them to stop halfway through for like, it's the Twilight Bark. Woof, 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 Twilight Bark. Woof. I swear, I'm doing Baby <laughs> Shark. <laughs> it's the Twilight Bark. Woof, 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 woof. woof. <laughs> Um, but I mean, that maybe would have broken it up a little bit because that Ugh. scene was very long. Well, do I want another five minutes on the runtime, though? Well, maybe you could have like got kind of infused some of what happened into the song, so it becomes a bit more. I'm hungry. Active. What? What? I am so hungry. <laughs> what? What? What food you bring me? What? What? <laughs> well, that's not even in the Twilight Bark, is it? Now what? What if you had like they they like get stuck and it's like the movie Alive and they have to eat each other to like stay alive <laughs> and like Rolo is Roly is just like have you not seen 101 Alive? One hundred and one pound oh. Dalmatians. <laughs> the sequel sixty three Dalmatians. <laughs> Imagine how horrifying it would be though if like you had consistent songs and Cruella de Vil appears near the end and she's like she's just like she's lost it she's angry she wants her dogs. Okay, I hear. Is the fact there's so few songs, is Cruella de Vil so much more memorable because it's one of only three we get and two that we remember? Yes. I think it's yeah. memorable because it's literally the same few words over and over again and a very, very memorable tune as well. I think even if this, even if this film is full of songs, that's going to be the one you remember. It gets, well, of course you do. It gets yeah. played twice in the overture. Then he comes down singing da-da-da-da-da. Then you get Cruella de Vil. And then he goes upstairs and trolls her with it twice. And then you hear on the radio when he turns it off. So you get like seven different repetitions of this song. It yeah. is like whatever that song was from Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> That kept coming back over and over and over again. Oh, Bella Note. Yeah, be- <laughs> Bella Note. Songs about dogs are going to be repetitious with songs. Georgia. You mean films about dogs. What did I say? Songs about dogs. Oh, yeah, dogs. films about dogs. <laughs> Georgia, your favorite character, please. Um, I'm going to go with one of the puppies that's not been mentioned the whole film yet. Patch is hilarious he's the one that idolizes the dog on the tv and he's going i'm gonna get him i'm gonna get him it's like calling cruella Deville like a yellow belly livid like like oh, that dog yeah. he's great there's a great uh, the, really there cute. is a great moment early on when they're watching the tv and he's like he's gonna get that yellow liver whatever and of course Perdita goes i didn't teach you that language it could only have come from that. and then pongo just like looks away <laughs> like it's, smiling it's just <laughs> such an accurate representation of like just family life i think yeah. i really enjoyed that bit uh, okay. yeah so i really liked i really like patch um i i like cruella Deville. i think she's really sassy in that opening scene we get her like she's only there for two minutes but i like her i think she's great i think she deserved more absolutely i guess i mean we can talk about that at the end maybe but yeah probably my biggest issue was i wanted her to be more than she was yeah because yeah. the character design which i've talked about is brilliant. It's amazing. And yeah. it's like they just they didn't have a good enough idea for it. Yeah. Or what to do with it. Uh, my favorite character, and I'm surprised I'm the first one who gets to say this. I want to give an actually 
I, I don't think anyone. I don't give an honorable mention to Pongo because I loved Pongo. I thought he was really good for what he was. Pongo is great. Yeah. yeah. I did mention him, but did you? Okay. I mean, I mentioned four pe- four different That's characters. That's true. So. You did mention the whole <laughs> cast, I think. Uh, whereas uh, my favorite is Mr. Tibbs. Oh, really? I really liked uh, Mr. Um, Tibbs. Yeah, he's good. In a, yeah. fi- in a film full of dogs, leave it to me to choose the cat. <laughs> 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 but I thought Mr. Tibbs, especially because, I mean, he saves po- this movie in that middle act. Yeah. When the barking's gone on forever and I'm stuck with the sheepdog getting everything wrong, Mr. Tibbs has... It's not just the fact that he gets it right. Far from it. Whoever the voice actress is playing him just got nervous but respectful, uh, courageous yet terrified. And that's yeah. not an easy uh, thing to play, to be the hero who doesn't want to be there, who feels weak and small but has to do the right thing. Absolutely. And has to keep getting, seeing the dog get it wrong and respectfully correcting him but like letting him keep his dignity. It's like a cross between when Jock wasn't being a jerk in <laughs> Lady the Tramp and something else, I don't know. So, uh, looking to see who he's voiced by because it's. I'd be intrigued to know if he's a. I didn't see Jeff Bennett. I wonder if he's. I anything didn't else. see any. I did a little bit of research on some of them. I didn't see anybody really from names I'd, I'd remember before. No, I, uh, he's done. He was in the Land Before Time franchise. Yeah. Um, uh, Curious George. He was in. But no, nothing. No, Penguins nothing, of Madagascar. Hilarious. Nothing Disney. But no, though. he's not done anything. Uh, um, he was the centipede in James and the Giant Peach. Okay. He also voiced Tramp and Jock and Trusty in Lady and the Tramp, but the second film. Yeah, don't count. Oh, Scam's Adventure. Don't count. Yeah. So he's done bits, but not loads. So, I mean, sequels gave us Homer Simpson as the genie. We, we, we don't count the sequels. Not, <laughs> not the ones that went straight to DVD. No way. Um, and so, I mean, favorite song. I think, can we just all say Cruella de Vil? I think we, we, we all yeah. have, Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, best bit. Best bit of the film. I really love the dairy farm scene with the cows in. I think I, I've already said. I think it's just really sort of heartwarming and. I really appreciated yeah. seeing like a bunch of mums gush over the puppies. That was cool. That was cool. I needed some warmth, literally and figuratively, at that point. I needed some warmth. Yeah. Ethan. Ooh. Uh, oh. The, I'd say the sort of the scene where they're all watching uh, the TV with the cowboy stuff. Oh, for <laughs> It's, favorite. it's cute it's memorable and i think it, it brings out what little characters their personalities there are in the characters you must have loved the first hour of once upon a time in hollywood oh god it was just watching I, it was I, just watching i don't, watch I don't TV, even like it? once upon a time in hollywood but oh, that's geez. for completely different reasons anyway ellie is there something that you wanted to say that i cut you off oh, on? just there's the there's the really cute little bit just before they go into the um the bit with the cows where you get i think it's lucky um and he goes, um, I can't find it. Um, he says something like, it's cold and my nose is froze and my toes are froze and my tail is froze. <laughs> and I just really like it. I think he's really cute. That was all. Um, I, I agree with Ethan. I like that first telly scene. I really like it. I think Patch in that scene is hilarious. Um, Pongo and Padita in that are really sweet as well. Um, but other than that, it would be uh, Roger trolling Anita from upstairs. That is probably my favorite bit. My favorite bit was Pongo. This is, I get Pongo in here. My favorite bit was Pongo commenting on the idiosyncrasies of human life. 
Yeah. That was a that was a really fun dynamic that because of the way the story has to go, it kind of stops once he meets Perdita. It definitely take, slows down considerably, and then once the quest for the puppies is on, it's pretty much disappeared, which is fine. I understand why they they had to stop it, but it was a really really fun commentary I thought on some foibles that we all do, and it was fun to hear that from the dog's perspective. It's a shame that my favorite and I thought the most clever moments of the film were like the first three minutes. Yeah. That's the only problem. <laughs> yeah. It's a strong opening, though. It's a strong opening. Uh, my Little Grumble. My Little Grumble. Worst part of the film or a thing you want to... Cruella's eyes at the end. I really, really hate them. I, I remember hating them as a child. They've, they've stuck with me. It's not because they're scary. I just think they're ridiculous, and I don't think it fits with the rest of the film. Ethan? It's just, it just goes on. There's there's nothing of substance in some scenes. I I, I think I, I said the same thing with Mary Poppins. I said the same thing with Sword in the Stone. I think I might just not like like the older Disney films. But there's so much stuff out of the time that I do not remember. I forgot who Mr. Tibbs was until he was brought up. Because I... It's the barking scene. Yeah, I hate the barking scene mm. so much. That's where I clocked out and forgot the rest of the film. Jordan. You know the film's not great if you're complaining about them padding runtime in a 76-minute film. But, uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, no, I think I've already named all of my grumbles in my trifecta of grumbles. The uh, <laughs> distance from London to Suffolk, the uh, uh, skinning of puppies, and I can't remember what the other one was. Uh, if you take out the TV watching and the midnight twilight bark... <laughs> And then never-ending walking because we just need to... F- this is about 55 minutes of movie that you can't charge a full-price theater ticket for. I think legally you can, so you have, to, you have to up it. And it was just artificially padded. Because could we not have had Pongo and Perdita get into some more hazards on the way up? Could we have played... So that when they got there, that felt like an achievement as opposed to, you know... Um, you know, six seconds later or whatever that vine was <laughs> that used to come up all the time. I think the little montage of the snowstorm and it getting worse and them struggling through it gives, well, gives well, that I said it faded out when Perdita was struggling against the current. That could have been a Pongo sees it, scarpers around the side, grabs a branch and helps pull her out. And she goes, oh, I'm so, yeah, that's, that's okay. True. We can keep going. It would have added about 90 seconds to the runtime, but I would have been invested in that rather than super dogs. Yeah, I do agree with that. So... That's that's that. I don't care enough to get mad about this film. <laughs> I was a bit. I did yell at my screen last night, Ethan, uh, when I went uh, when, when they were doing the barking thing, and for like the third time, the sheepdog got it wrong. I went, "How are they still effing barking? How is why am I watching this?" So it was rough. It was it was that barking scene that I didn't put my entire like. In, like sort of focus on it and start planning my Disney holiday, and I kept looking up. I was like, "Oh, we're here. We're still here. We're still here. We're still here. Cool, cool." I got through. I got to my to my uh, meal plan before I got to like an important part. <laughs> and I want people to know, like, I really gave this an honest go. I really did. I went into here not looking for my viewpoint to be reinforced. I was totally open, and early on, I was going, "Oh." I'm really caring about this more than I thought I would. And then Cruella shows up and I went, okay, we're just going to, and it quickly devolves into a very basic, like what minute mark is it when the puppies get stolen? 
And then they show up like Wait, 90 seconds what? before, you know, there's just, there's a quick opening, there's a quick finish, and then it's like just a lot of stalling in the middle. The second act takes for, oh, the third aisle. It's just, it's just bad. It's just bad. So, have I forgotten anything besides the ratings? I want to make sure I don't screw this up at all. I don't think so. Okay. So, just to uh, clarify. So, this is our 11th Disney animated classic we have done. So, I will just read through the ones we have done so far. We have done Frozen, Mulan, Pocahontas, The Three Caballeros, Lady and the Tramp, Sword in the Stone, Wreck-It Ralph, Treasure Planet, Aladdin, and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And I'm going to ask you to rank that. To rank that somewhere on that list of a number. This is what out of 11. So might be easy, might be late. We'll see how it goes. And let's go ahead and have Ellie. Can you give us your ranking first? Yeah. So I've put it in at number six, which is below Lady in the Tramp and above Pocahontas for me. Um, I've put it below Lady in the Tramp because I think probably just the fact that there's more songs in Lady and the Tramp makes it kind of just pivot to the post. But, I mean, I, I did say at the end of last episode, I am going to get on the nostalgia bus again a little bit with 101 Dalmatians because it is one that I had on VHS and watched it a lot of times. And Ethan said he can't really remember this film, but I remembered every single frame of it almost. It I, was very, very familiar watching it. And I think I think Ethan admitted he can't remember it and he saw it like yesterday. Yeah, well, no, that's what I mean, though. Like, even <laughs> he he just doesn't, like, kind of... It doesn't resonate with him, obviously, in, like, a memorable way. But for me, it is, it is like, a part of my childhood. And I found myself just kind of, like, bobbing along to little bits of it. Not not even the songs, but just... I don't know, perhaps it was, like, little musical back backing bits or... I don't know. I, I quite enjoyed watching it. But I do com- I do completely agree with everything that's sort of been said in negativity towards it, apart from the fact that the TV scene is bad, because I do quite like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, so number six for me. Number six. Uh, Ethan? I'll put this at number ten. Uh, below Lady the Tramp, but above Sword in the Stone. Because Sword in the Stone has n- nothing of value to it, I think. But Lady but in the Tramp, uh, 101 Dalmatians has a, it has a good song. Uh, that, 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 that stops it from being the lowest. It's a really great song. So worse, just to clarify, worse than everything except for uh, Sword in the Stone. Yep. Which is re- yep. it's really interesting because I think they're both Bill Pete stories. So. <laughs> Maybe I just have a really weird, specific dislike for Bill Pete. To be fair, I had a similar, if I remember correctly, I had a similar issue with the lack of story I felt in Lady and the Tramp. I felt not much happens. So it's interesting that kind of happened, the same quote of whatever we are here. Georgia, where does it fall I for you? Have, I have got it at number seven. I've got it below Hunchback of Notre Dame, but above Sword in the Stone. So I didn't hate it, but it wasn't my favorite. I just quite like Cruella, and I like the dogs. Out of curiosity, that's, where did you have Lady and the Tramp? Lady and the Tramp is below Sword in the Stone at nine. Okay, so, I'm just, so I'm just curious because we're hearing a lot of the same films yeah. come up. Yeah. I have this at number nine of 11. I have it uh, below Treasure Planet. I have Treasure Planet at eight. And I have Lady and the Tramp at 10. So I have this as better than Lady and the Tramp. George, I think you had it better than Lady and the Tramp. I think the other two had it yeah. just worse than Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, just. just. Yeah. And I think... 
I think in my essence, like to me, I actually found myself going the hard ones. The hard one for me was Treasure Planet and going, what is there enough of? And at least I was intellectually as much as Treasure Planet at times. And I think it's still been my biggest rant that I've had yet on the podcast <laughs> is about Treasure Planet. But as much as that infuriated me, it had actual really, really high moments for me, too, where I was actually super invested. Uh, I'm kind of, as we go through a lot of these and we see the various uh, ideologies or moods or motifs that are important to the Disney company, it would would seem at the time, or the messages they want to present. Carpet bags. I'm getting... (laughs) I'm getting really tired of films trying to pass off on just being cute. And you know what I mean? You know what I mean by being cute? Not just the aesthetic, but the idea of oh, that's nice. And I'm like, I need more from my stories than that's nice. And um, yeah, I mean, it was a really savage kind of pretense here. But I think there was also the idea of we knew it was never going to happen. Not that I need to see like you know, poor Patch crying in the corner as the <laughs> as the blade comes towards his head. I don't mean far from it. It's just one of those things where. I think it's a cute story, and it got put on the screen as a cute story, and they were looking for some little mass appeal, and you can never go wrong with cartoon animals, I guess, at Disney. And Sleeping Beauty, you know, I'm no Sleeping Beauty fan, but I'm just going, this feels to me like a bit of a lull period in the Disney Corporation, still trying to figure out who they are after the package film era, and not quite getting there yet. Because I don't rate Sleeping Beauty that much. I don't rate this that much. I don't rate Sword in the Stone that much. Because uh, I have Sword in the Stone just above Treasure Planet. So they're all, they're all in, the same, in the same sort of area. But that's that. So, at the end of the day, we've got a 6, a 10, a 7, and a 9. So, kind of the opposite of a hunchback. We kind of all kind of <laughs> sat here and went, eh. It, was, it wasn't our worst, but it's not that much above that for some of us. The highest was Elliot 6, and the lowest was Ethan at 10. So that leaves us to our next film. And who was the next film? Is that Georgia? That would be me. It's you. It okay, is sorry, it's you. What are we watching next? So I'm going to jump ahead in time, which is quite unusual for me. I feel like normally I have to jump back in time to kind of keep us a little bit distant from the previous episode. And we're going to cross back over to Pixar again. Uh, and we're going to look at Brave from 2012. Yay! My people finally oh. get the treatment we deserve. <laughs> that would be gingers for anyone listening. Brave. All right. All right. I've seen Brave. I remember I remember liking it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I, I seem to remember liking it as well. I can't remember, in, remember it in a lot of detail, but... Remember it being a fairly good film, Georgia. You went yay! Uh, I think it was I, you and not I Ethan. really like Brave. Yeah? Okay, good. Yeah, one of my favorite princess stories. Uh, oh, the, the only oh, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but the only Pixar princess, am I right? Yes, only okay. Pixar princess. And Ethan, I think there's going to be a lot of arguments between me and oh, Georgia next oh, episode. Good. I look forward to this. It's it's nice when people have sort of <laughs> differing. Uh, opinions on this um so outside of that it's kind of where we're we're situated so please do join us next time for brave 
And uh, if you want to go ahead and get out, heck, you might even want to um, request an episode. We did do one. Our first Pixar film was one where someone requested it. We went ahead and watched Coco. Thanks, Lauren. Georgia, what are those socials that people can get a hold of us? We are at Talking the Mickey on Instagram and at Talk the Mickey on Twitter. And while you're at it, why not join us this coming weekend while we look down at the Best Film Ever podcast at Some Like It Hot as well. That might be worth a shout. We're going way back in time to Marilyn Monroe, so that should be interesting. But we'll see you next time for... What are we watching again? Brave. We'll see you next time for Brave and for talking... Anita. (laughs) (laughs) Who who was that? Uh, (laughs) So join us next time when we talk about Brave and for talking to Mickey. I've been Ian. I've been Ellie. I've been Georgia. And I've been Ethan. And I'll be honest with you guys, I had a sign-off line, but much like I love a puppy at the back of the queue, I froze up. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs>